Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Talking About Birds, the only Cardinal podcast likely to underperform their projections. My name is Nate Heininger, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Ben Samorka. Hey, Nate. What are they, what are they projecting us for? To be bad. Okay. If you have an idea for the opening bit, tweet us at Talk About Birds. Hambone, we're 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 back, separated by thousands of miles again. Thank God. Uh, I I don't have blindingly uh, bright lights beaming in yep. my face, which is an improvement. Yeah, and I don't have you right next to me, so that's an improvement as well. So overall, things are looking up. Twenty twenty four, starting off bright. You're no longer cowering in the corner. The little you were in the corner more than puddle, I was. Puddle of urine beneath you. <laughs> <What the fuck? laughs> I asked you not to tell anyone about that. Okay. Well, well, it was it a is. weird. It was a weird New Year's. <laughs> you know this. You know <laughs> this. Did you have a good New Year's, Nady H? I did. I did. We we did what I talked about last week. We watched uh, our Bollywood film, and it was delightful as ever and uh we watched with with the kids we watched um the firework displays on youtube from a variety of different countries around the world as they hit their uh hit their countdown which was cool obviously not watching fireworks on youtube is uh you know not the ideal firework experience pretty far <laughs> from it but uh sure it is still pretty amazing to see Wow. Um, the Sydney, Australia one was pretty, pretty oh, awesome. It's the first one, right? Uh yeah, I don't know. Is it the first one? I mean the first big one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like, I think that's the first major city to to have a new okay. year. Everybody uses like the same shitty EDM style songs that they play while their fireworks are going off. It was like the exact same song. It wasn't literally the exact same song but they were all these really bad edm like new year like it would just say new year's every once in a while sure yeah some unlicensed yeah free song yeah 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 like ai generated chat gpt know. yeah yeah <laughs> you're a song but it was good you know it's still fun to see and interesting to see all the different firework displays and whatnot i love i love a good firework show um even if i have to watch it on youtube uh how was oh. your dinner did they serve yeah, you you're you're kind of like a i would say a bit of a firework freak i i have distinct memories growing up with you of you uh blowing up figurines yes. throwing firecrackers at me um i think that you built a bottle rocket gun out of a <laughs> wiffle ball bat at one point um yeah it's all tracks I, I think you shot it at me uh that tracks. sounds yeah, so yeah, I'm not surprised. That's how you got that scar. You're still there. Yeah. Uh, dinner was good. Um, yeah. We had a lovely time. We we didn't. So it was our first time at this place, and uh, everything was great. The uh, like, I think everybody was just having a great time, which which was wow. nice. You always like if I go to a service place on a holiday, I never know what I'm gonna like. I hope those people are having fun. 
Yeah. Anyways, they all seem to be having fun. We ordered a flight of different champagnes around midnight hmm. um, and did bubbles, not know. Extra that, bubbles? Uh, light bubbles? Huh? Say it again? Just is the difference the amount of bubbles that are in it? Yeah. Yeah. You f- idiot. <laughs> I'm so glad I stopped talking yeah, to that. Yeah, I'm really sad you stopped. <laughs> Moron. Um. Anyways, so we were drinking lots of champagne and, and this, Great. that, and the other. And... The wait staff also continues to bring us champagne. Um, so we had, I don't know, like six glasses of champagne towards the end of the night. And uh, yeah, I, I champagne for your real friends with a massive hangover. And uh, <laughs> yeah, everything was it was lovely, though. We saw I don't know what was wrong with us. Then we came home and did a shot of tequila. Um, really just went out with a bang. Well, I guess I'm glad you survived the night. Although, um, mm, yeah, I guess I'm okay. I'm glad that yeah. you survived the night. Shout Happy out, New Year. Shout Sounds out like to our it. like $35 lift that drove us one mile. <laughs> yeah, well, if they're out there driving on New Year's Eve, especially at that time, that still sounds like not enough pay for that. And to have to drive you. Yeah, I he he was tipped accordingly. He's a, yeah. I know. What else okay. can I do? Shall I drive home next year, Nate? Do you want me to die? Mm, not like that. <laughs> okay. Thanks. I don't want you to hit anyone else. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Mary can survive too. Yeah. That'd be cool. Okay. Someone has to watch your cats. Oh. Well, happy new year to our listeners. 2024 from a baseball sense. It has to be better than 2023, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it will be. It will be. It will be. Um, We've got a number of things to talk about today. Uh, Not a lot of Cardinal news, but we have some Cardinal topics to talk about. Was there anything else you want to chat about before we get into the the meat of the episode? Well, I, you know, there's just something on my mind a little bit today. And I think it's, um, I think it's nice for people like us to see somebody successful fail. (laughs) Um, and I'm not sure if you've seen this, if you read about this, have you seen this? David Ortiz, uh, recently had a gender reveal party. Him and his, his wife had a gender reveal party. And as you can imagine, uh, you know, everybody's got to make it cool and unique and Instagrammable or TikTokable or whatever. Uh, so anyways, David Ortiz, he's rented out in this nice party space. Uh, there's streamers everywhere. Everyone's excited. He gets a bat sets up, uh, like he's at the plate. His wife underhands him a ball. He swings and misses. Uh, the ball falls on the ground. <laughs> Blue streamers fly out yes. everywhere after he strikes out. And uh, I, I've never seen David Ortiz look like this. He's like scrambling around on the ground to try to pick the ball up. And streamers are coming down and everybody's screaming. Um, but it, it really sparked a lot of joy. That was like one of the first things that I saw this morning on on the internet, on baseball internet. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you. It really made my day. Yeah, I have not seen that, but I'm absolutely going to look that up. I mean, everybody loves David Ortiz. You know, Big Poppy. Um, But I will forever. Except for that one guy that shot him after he had sex with his wife. (laughs) Well, okay. There's there's actually a large contingency of people that I think despise David Ortiz for (laughs) on and off the field activities. Um, but generally speaking, he is a a beloved figure, uh, at least for his personality. Um, but 
if you are a St. Louis Cardinal fan, particularly one who's been a, a fan uh, or who was a fan in 2013, um, you know, he's forever etched into your memory as a destroyer of worlds. The uh, the one of the worst playoff experiences I've, yeah. you know, seen. I mean, it was wonderful that the Cardinals were in the World Series, but big yikes. And uh, we were all just screaming at Matheny to stop pitching. Stop to, pitching to him. To Ortiz. And so maybe this is a little bit of karma. A little bit of karma. It is funny that that World Series, I feel like it's just like, it's it's been etch a sketch from Cardinals fans' minds. Like no one, I, I don't know. You just never hear mention of it. Yeah, it doesn't come up. It, it doesn't really need to come up. It was that bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of gone. Well, it, that and the 2019 NLCS. You know, it wasn't um, that long ago that the Cardinals were in the NLCS, but they yeah. got so thoroughly trounced by the Washington Nationals that it it was like it it was a good season. Cardinals made it to the NLCS. They got beat so bad that we've basically walked away from 2019 saying that was a bad season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just just for a little fun and a walk down memory lane, David Ortiz, 2013 World Series. Uh, he was 37 years old. He had 25 plate appearances. He had eight walks against one strikeout. His batting average was 688. Jesus. His slugging percentage was... <laughs> 1.188 to total for an OPS of 1948 over six games. <laughs> um, so he had 11 hits, eight walks. I mean, he was essentially on base every single time he came yeah. up. Um, and and only it was out once we talked about it recently. It was he, it was his hit that Beltron robbed from being a grand slam. Right. Yeah. And then it tore Beltron's, rib cage or whatever and he yeah, was out he for the ran into the bullpen really really hard and yeah kind of took beltron out for the remainder of the series yeah uh so if it wasn't for that home run robbery those numbers look even more crazy with a grand slam on top of the whole thing yeah uh so but you know what 10 years later he swings and misses a uh soft toss from his wife so uh who really comes out on top loser loser also we now know that baby's gonna be a loser so double loser <laughs> uh this is a tired opinion at this point but the gender reveal thing is all you're doing is setting you're either setting yourself up for uh something that no one's ever going to remember and talk about or absolute failure it's like um it is no, a I, high I risk low good. reward i think they're good you like them I think uh, I think only good things ever happen. Uh, like there was that story where like I think a couple accidentally poisoned a uh, like a main water source for uh, yeah. a, a town. That one was uh, earlier this summer. I know that like a forest has been burnt down. Yeah. Um, I don't know. People people just need reasons to celebrate. <laughs> it's I don't know. It, it, we're, we're all fine. Do whatever you want to do. Uh, you convince me. They're fine. Wow, let's do more. We need to re let's do more reveal parties of just mundane outcomes. Yeah. Um, Dinner reveal party. Ooh, like to reveal the meal that you're about to get. Yeah, that's good to me. I like that. You have to swing and hit a ball, and it's full of spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> I mean, that's good. I, I I like it, but yeah. If you have an idea for a food-based uh, reveal party, uh, let us know.
hit us up yeah. in the bird scored or or in our various uh channels yeah. when you hear them should we talk about baseball now <laughs> yeah baseball? that's that's fine we're yeah. in the doldrums nady yeah we are it is january 3rd and um there's not been a lot of news but there is still stuff to talk about so um last time we were together we talked about the steamer projections which are often the first projections that come out they're sort of uh fan graphs home system they're the first thing on there and i think they're they're pretty well regarded we like steamer a lot um they're generally pretty accurate um for me personally though my favorite projection system is called zips it is uh made by a a, a man named dave simborski damn um, did I say did I say Dave? I did say Dave. Dan Idiot. Zim, Zimborski. And I think that the projections are good and interesting, but I also think that they're my favorite because I just like this guy. I've said this before. Yeah, I think I think he is just do he's like a he's doing everything that I want to be doing, but doing it better. He talks <laughs> he talks baseball and video games as a profession. Uh if he's not writing for fan graphs, he's covering various video games, specifically uh collectible card games your magics your hearthstones your things like that uh things that are interest of mine but he's doing all this professionally and i'm talking to you about these things so yeah sorry he's obviously doing it a lot better than myself but anyway cool dude with a cool projection system and uh they release theirs uh in a real hype building system uh you know process where you get a little teaser and then they release some um, about every every few days or every week. They're they're releasing on fan graphs. And in between our last record and this, the cardinal projections have come out. Now, a thing with zips, uh, if you go and look at this on fan graphs, which I highly recommend you do, is important to note. Um, this can be confusing for people sometimes. Is it doesn't try to give a balanced plate appearance or innings count for players it's not actually taking into consideration there's x amount of third base innings available and it will be divided equally up, up across these three guys it's just saying based off of previous experience previous performance and expectations of potential playing time in 2024 these are the projections of what you could possibly expect so you'll see like a ton of dudes on these projection systems getting a, a sometimes way more plate appearances than you would expect. And it's not necessarily saying we fully expect this guy to get this many plate appearances. And that means like, like Jimmy Crooks is on here with a ton of plate appearances, you know, and they're not saying like, Oh, Wilson Contreras, we project him to miss half the season. It's just, if Jimmy Crooks gets to play and plays at a reasonable level, this is what you might expect from him. So, um, so I thought we'd start like we did with the steamer projections. Um, did anything stand out to you uh, in these initial projections? Yeah, yeah. I think um, Arenado and Goldschmidt kind of being back at the top, even with some regression, yeah. but kind of returning to form. Arenado being projected for four war. Uh, Goldie uh, a little over three. I think that's that's really nice to see. I think that gives everybody a nice warm feeling. Um, at least makes me feel that way. Um, and then I would I would say the other thing that's really stark was the idea that uh, Mason Wynn is out projecting Jordan Walker. 
mm-hmm. um, and actually out projecting a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, yeah. which is really, really fun. And I think that, um, you know, I think we have a lot of faith in Mason Wynn and it's going to be a big year for him. Obviously his first like real season in the big leagues, he still has prospect status right now. So he's, he's a baby. Um, but I think you can see if he hits league average and the defense is what we think it can be. This is a really solid player yeah. and a guy who should be able to take over shortstop and never look back. Um, I think that's great. I think uh, I would probably say that it's underrating Lars Newbar um, a little bit. Uh, outside of that, I think I'm pretty in line with everything. Um, or it all makes sense to me is is what I mean, I mean yeah. to say. Um, and then, of course, you know, my my eyes scroll over to the starting pitching and where is that <laughs> going to come from? And Zips is really not liking some of our lower end pitching options. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> that's yeah. understandable and fair and unsurprising, but it, it gives you uh, some worry. I'll say uh, one other that I'll call out really quick is that zips looks like it really likes what Richie Palacios did last year. Yeah. Um, and, and it has him, you know, assuming that he gets the plate appearances, it has him being a pretty effective member of the big league club, which I think, um, I like that. I, uh, yeah. I, I, I haven't really decided how I'm landing on the Richie Palacios status and his like future with the Cardinals. Like, is this guy going to be a, not necessarily a mainstay, but a guy that's on the big league roster for the foreseeable future, you know, in some type of capacity, maybe. Yeah, he he certainly seems like after last year, he, he played his way into that fourth outfielder role. Um, the only problem is that there are uh, at least two other guys that we think also fit that fourth outfielder role. So how that playing time will shake out is, is uh, you know, still unknown, especially if no additional moves are made. Um, you and I have said a number of times we both believe there's at least one more trade happening in the in this offseason. But if not, it is hard to see how basically uh, Palacios, Carlson, and Burleson, like what their playing time turns out to be um, because they all, while they, they do it in different ways, they fill that fourth outfielder role um pretty pretty clearly so um but yeah Um, i'm actually not surprised that it if it projects if you give him 500 at bats or plate appearances rather like some good results should come yeah um burleson was an interesting name kind of going through this list and kind of just you know trying to put together they they have burleson is really not um or zips doesn't really like him which I yeah. kind of thought it would go the other way because we've talked so much this offseason about how Burleson's underlying metrics are much better than his actual results. The guy doesn't strike out. Um, he has good in-zone contact, um, and he hits the ball relatively hard. Um, he hits the ball so often that I think it, it downplays his hard-hit numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought he was kind of profiling as a guy that Zips would like, and I think really what it comes down to is it's not a lot of data. Uh, there's not a lot of players like him that have such good bats ball contact skills. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not saying that he's going to be Luis Arias, but even zips kind of underrates guys like Luis Arias uh, until you have four years of data saying, Oh, this guy actually is a three thirty hitter or, or right. where he ends up at. 
Um, so I found that a bit interesting. Um, Victor Scott is a, a Victor Scott too, sorry, is another interesting name that's on this list of somebody who might, uh, I mean, I'm trying to temper my expectations, but the hype train is like leaving the station really quickly for me on Victor Scott. I I, I can't calm down to see what he might do and seeing, seeing zips kind of, uh, um, I don't know, project him for so many steals and, 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 and playing time. And it's, it's exciting. Yeah. Those zips doesn't, I mean to say zips doesn't really like, uh, Victor Scott as a, uh, at, at an offensive level, um, projecting projecting him to have a 284 uh, weighted on base average, which is yeah. pretty substandard. But the um, you know what you're talking about the added ability to steal, and then I think you know he he is he is high as highly regarded in defense projections as they have Nolan Arenado. Yeah. So you know him, he's it's like one tick below Mason Wynn. Um, and then it's, it goes Mason Wynn and then Nolan Arenado and Victor Scott too, as the like projected best defensive players on the team. And so that's where a lot of that war is coming from. And then I think, you know, I know you talked to Kyle about this a lot and we both feel like, you know, Victor Scott, it's, he still, we still need to see that next level of power, just a little bit more slug. And suddenly he becomes an incredibly valuable big league, uh, center fielder. But even as is, if he gets a playing time, he's going to be elite defensively and have a, you know, be interesting on the base paths at least. Um, inter- yeah, it'll definitely be interesting when he steals 40 something bases. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, I, I've seen some comps to him and um, Estieri Ruiz um, yeah. over on Oakland. Um, hope, we, you know, we kind of hope for better than that because Ruiz is really following the, the, um, the path of your Billy Hamiltons where they really turns out like they can play a pretty good defense because they're so fast, but really they're just not good at anything other than running really, really, really fast, uh, which is a lot of fun. But I think we we're holding out hope that Victor Scott is that, but can get on base to some degree to make it like, you know, where we start seeing like a 90 plus stolen, especially with the new rules, you know, where we see like a 90, plus stolen base season. Well, yeah, you know, and it's so easy to give the Cardinals player dev uh, crap all the time, right? But if you look at what one thing that they've been good at, and I don't know if it's the players that they're they're uh, drafting, if it's the methodology of, of training these guys or, or just everything combined, um, but you got some, some walkers. Uh, literally mm-hmm. Jordan Walker is on the team. <laughs> hey. um, but you look at Brendan Donovan, uh, Dylan Carlson, Lars Newbar, um, all these guys walk quite a bit. All of them came up through the system. And uh, if that's something that they can impart on Victor Scott too, that's, I, yeah. I mean, even if he is a light hitter, if he's just slapping the ball over the shortstop and then he's walking, uh, at a decent rate, like it's a super, super dangerous player, like a, yeah. uh, uh, a Yachty in center field or an Ozzie Smith in center field type. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be the best center fielder of all time, like those guys, but, uh, uh, at their respective positions, but yeah, you can see how this player starts to mature and, and where he starts to come from. And it's, yeah, yeah. It's and not, like I said, the hype trains love, I'm, I I'm fully, yeah. I'm fully buying it. 
Well, hey, and you know, you're you're talking about walkers. There's going to be plenty in the starting rotation as well, um, because they're going to need them to support their ability to walk because they're so old. <laughs> oh, oh, wow, jeez. <laughs> oh, I was like, where are you headed? <laughs> I could sucked. tell. I waited too long. I didn't want to cut you off your Victor Scott uh, speech because I agree with it to make that bad joke. And then um, it got too long, but I still wanted to say it. Nate, so, when the jokes are that good, I'm giving you permission, bro. <laughs> you cut me off, bro. It's yeah. fine, bro. Um, yeah, I mean, just in general, the uh, unsurprisingly, Zips likes the Cardinal lineup. Yeah. So we've said before on the show, the average war in major leagues is two, roughly two. So zero is replacement level. You don't actually want zero. And just being above zero doesn't mean that you were a like productive big league player. The average is two. And just like pretty much every year for, I don't know, probably the last five, six years in a row, it'd be interesting to go and look back at this. Um, Every single starting position in the Cardinal lineup is expected to exceed two war. Now, yeah. some of it really close, like DH, they're projecting a combo of Donovan, Walker, and then Contreras and 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 Burleson. They're projected as a combined 2.2, but that's the lowest. Uh, and that oh, has the, the, the positional yeah. subtraction, right? Right. Um, yeah, well, exactly. I mean, that's part of why Wynn is projected so high because he, he'll be an elite defense, uh, defensive player at the most challenging defensive position on, on the field. So like that elite defense is worth even more. Um, I was incorrect though. They have Jordan Walker at 2.1 and right field, which, um, we'll talk about his offensive projections here in yeah. a minute, but again, just like steamer, it's not projecting him to be a good right fielder. Uh, so he's suppressed there, but, Otherwise, I'll just go by position. You got left field 2.4, center field 3.2. You've got third base 3.8, shortstop 2.7, second base 2.9, first base 3.1, and uh, catcher 2.9. So it's saying yep. every single position in the lineup is going to be above average. And I think that that's fair. If not above average, nearing like all-star or yeah. elite. Um, and these are also just like steamer, zips is conservative most projection systems are um so this is you know i think hopefully there's only one or two here that are below this uh but i think it's fair to expect a few of these might be above it as well which they do oh they have a way of handling that too which we'll talk about here in a minute yeah yeah i think you know cardinals fans know this team really well and i think you can look at these projections and i think um like I, I think there's a, a narrative behind the idea that I think it's easy for us to expect Arenado and Goldschmidt will take a bit of a step back this year. They're getting older, um, yeah. but it's also very easy to imagine when Gorman, Newt Barr, and Walker all taking taking a step forward. If Contreras just keeps his you know head above water, uh, he doesn't even have to perform as he, well as he did last year. It's a really good offensive team, offensive and potentially defensive team. Yeah. Um, um, and I want to throw out the bullpen too. You know, the bullpen has been a big topic of discussion this offseason, and it certainly seems like the Cardinals are projecting that they are not done with improving the bullpen between just the like the fact that we know players have been uh visiting the St. Louis Cardinals right. and 
we've been hearing constant reporting from Gould and Katie Wu and others that are, you know, in the know that they're having these meetings. So, you know, whether something actually happens or not, we'll see, but they are, they are pursuing an additional seemingly high end reliever for the bullpen. Even without that, the Cardinals are projected to have a pretty good bullpen. Yeah. So right now the combination is projected of a 4.2 war and war with relievers is sort of complicated. So I thought I would at least show a comparison. So the Arizona Diamondbacks, their, their zips projections just came out and a huge conversation piece around the Arizona Diamondbacks in the second half of the season last year and their playoff run was just how good their bullpen was, right? That was a big part of their whole playoff run and, and every game it was talked about. Ginkle. See, Ginkle, Seawald, Mantiply, you know, these these were becoming big names. And for the most part, as far as I can tell, that entire crew is back for the right. Diamondbacks. They are projected at a 2.6 war in 2024. The Cardinals are projected at 4.2. Yeah. So considerably higher from a bullpen um, that is still likely to be improved. So Zips really likes the uh, roster, or sorry, the lineup, really likes the rotation. I'm sorry, no, hold on. Really likes the bullpen. Yikes. And really likes Sonny Gray. Yeah, <laughs> really likes Sonny Gray. <laughs> Thank goodness. So Sonny Gray, who we have said numerous times, we think was a fantastic signing. Um, that is backed up uh, in Zips. He's projected... Uh, at a 3.6 war, which um, would put him only behind Arenado if if everybody played exactly to their projections. And even then, it would be almost a tie. Uh, and then after that, uh, Miles Michaelis, at his projected 2.1, is the only person above the league average of yeah. two. And 2.1, you know, we'll basically call it league average. Um, after Michaelis, Gibson, Lynn, and Matt's all sub two, and they have Zach Thompson as the sixth starter, which I think is a fair coming in at point three. So <laughs> these projections basically echo what we everyone feels about this team is that like on paper, if everybody plays for the full season and does reasonably what you'd expect them to do, even there's you know some people could underperform, some people could outperform, like. This team should be good. And and Simborski wraps it up with saying this team looks like an 85 to 90 win team, which, hey, I guess we'll take it after, especially after last year. And right now, the NL Central, that looks like the NL Central winning team. There's a reason why the Cardinals are showing up as projected winners on a lot of stuff. But you can see the problem just is glaring there as as we saw it going into last year. You can see the problem, but you can also see the variance. And we know to some degree, that is what happens in the front office is that John Moe and, and the rest of the team, they they look at this and they have their internal projection systems yeah. and, and, and whatever. And I'm sure that they're saying, well, yeah, this is the median outcome, but Gray could win another Cy Young. Right. Lynn could stop Comes his back. homework problem. Yeah. Uh, Gibson could put up 200 innings. Walker could be an MVP candidate. You know, these are the conversations that they're having yeah. internally. And to some point, like it's the off season. it's January. We should be having those conversations. Yeah. Cardinals should still improve the team, but you could see how this 90, 85 to 90 win team is a 95 to a hundred win team. 
I personally don't think that that is going to happen. Um, right. But I like if there's a presentation that Mo is making to the DeWitts, I have to imagine it's got that kind of flavor wrapped yeah. into it or something like that. I don't know. Just I'm speculating wildly. Uh, yeah. But um, you can I, see been, it if you squint. You can see it. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I and I haven't really exactly nailed how I want to frame it. But right now, it feels like there's there's two classes of competing MLB teams. And so I'm not going to include teams that I don't think are even trying to compete because I don't really know how to classify them, but your Oakland athletics, et cetera. But the teams that are trying to compete, I'd like to point out the Rockies have made several trades. I I think the Rockies are, they see themselves as trying to compete. (laughs) And so I think there's two classes right now. There's the teams that want to win and there's the teams that hope to win. Yeah. Your Dodgers, your Braves, teams like that. They're the teams that want to win and they will throw everything at it. They'll they won't rest on, you know, people outperforming their their metrics. They will continue to bolster just everything they can do to yeah. improve. I'll, I'll throw Mets and Phillies in there. Yeah, Mets and Phillies. They're teams that want to win. And then there are teams that hope to win. And I think that's where the Cardinals sit. Yeah. This is a competitive team. I think the Cardinals right now, barring an explosion from the Cubs or the Reds, who I think the Reds continue to make smart moves. We'll talk about this later. I think that like the Cardinals hope to win and have a reasonable shot at it, but I, they're not operating like a team that wants to win. And it is frustrating as a Cardinal fan, but it is, you know, we're at least like, this is a better team than it was last year. And there is a there is a, a really positive lens that you could view all of this. And you could say, like, the Cardinals are the favorites for the NL Central right now. And it's going to take multiple collapses for it not to be that case. Right. Yeah, I. Yes, I, I agree with everything that you said. I think the Cardinals problem is the lack of the super high end. Uh, uh, MVP candidate, Cy Young candidate type upside that some other teams have that I would put in the same category. Yeah. Uh, the O's I would put in that category. Uh, yeah. the, at least the Astros, um, although they, they might be in the other category. They're really actively trying to win. Um, but yeah, I think that's the only like little damper I would put on that statement yeah. is maybe gray. Uh, it seems highly unlikely. Maybe. Aaron Arenado refines his form and is an MVP yeah. candidate again. Um, both feel unlikely. Both are on the wrong side of 30. Um, but they lack that guy or that couple of guys that separates them from the other teams that I, I do think have those kind of uh, yeah. uh, higher marks. Um, I definitely have my Cardinal blinders on here, but like I do kind of put Walker in that case. Like I, I think what we saw enough from him last year to feel pretty confident that like he is going to be a, uh, all-star level major league yeah. player. Just will it happen in 2024 is what seems unlikely to me, but like it could happen. Right. right. But outside of that, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And the biggest problem is that we don't have any of that on the pitching side. If there was even like, right. if there was even like one guy 
that we were like, hey, he might break out in 2024 and he might be our ace like immediately. Like I would feel different about this team. But even the high end pitching uh, pieces like Hints and Rowie, they don't feel like they're that's that's 2024 for them. No, um, I, I'll tell you what, I don't know. Again, this might just be the January of it all. And, and I, uh, I haven't watched real baseball in a while and I, I just want to talk about some bullshit or whatever, but I, I'm feeling good about Zach Thompson. I am mm. not feeling good about him where I think like, Oh, don't worry about Matt's out there. You, we have Zach Thompson. It, it'll be fine. Um, but I'm feeling better and better. The videos of him going, he's in the lab, he's, he's at driveline or whatever. And he's, some of the stuff that he's doing there is quite interesting. Um, and then again, what also makes me feel is he kind not that he came out of nowhere. He was a high draft pick for the Cardinals, yeah. but he did come out of nowhere from a velocity and stuff perspective. He jumped mm-hmm. up all of a sudden he's in the lab right now. I don't, there's, there's this Cardinals colored glasses view that I'm having where I'm like, I'm kind of willing to bet on Zach Thompson and I don't think he's going to compete for a Cy Young. But I do think that there's or I'm I'm talking myself into this possibility where he could be a three win starter for the Cardinals mm, soon. Yeah, I certainly hope so. I mean, we he was he was a lot of fun to watch there in the second half last year when he when he was able to to get out there. So, yeah, I, I don't want to say there's not upside play potential, you know, but, um, you know, same with Libertor, like, you know, he's not that far removed from being one of the top pitching prospects in baseball, you know, there's that stuff there. Maybe they speed run hence, maybe they speed run Roby and, and one of them breaks out. Like there are pieces that could do it. It just certainly feels like we need a little bit more than that right now. Um, but, but yeah, um, I mean, we, we, we say this all the time. Like we are a positive podcast last year was so rough that I think it is, has shifted the tone of this show a little bit into more of a hesitancy to be just <laughs> blatantly positive, you yeah. know? Um, but like, I, I mean, I, I want the front office to do more. We rant, we rant and we rave about them a lot, but like, at least on the position player side, like this looks like a really fun team going yeah. into 2024. And I hope that, the rotation doesn't collapse and and steal that fun away from us. But like <laughs> seeing this, like the Newt Bar, uh, Walker, Win, Goldie and Arenado still, you know, Contreras had a rough first half, but was one of the best players in the league in the second half last year. And so maybe some of that momentum just c- carries right into 2024. You can see how this team will offensively yeah be fun and then the bullpen is probably going to be very very good teams have won with mediocre starting pitching it's yeah. not that crazy of a recipe right. so like om- almost everybody has a problem if you break down the teams into or the like a team into three categories offense pitching and uh or rotation and um bullpen or I guess four categories and defense like being potentially elite at three of those four is a good team, right? You know, we just saw the lowest possible (laughs) outcome last year with the absolute collapse of the starting pitching in April. There wasn't, there was like no month where the starting pitching was like 
even effect like even like hey it's kind of working i think with it, with, there was like a 10 game streak in may where it kind of felt like oh hey maybe things are coming yeah. back together and then it just collapsed from there yeah. well yeah you, you know for all the grief that we give the cardinals about their aged pitching staff of as you said they'll need walkers to get out to the mound hey. the average age of like 34 or whatever which isn't that old um but uh you look at the position player group and there's like how other than uh, Contreras, Arenado, and Goldschmidt, everybody's got like two years of service time. They're under 24. Yeah. Uh, Brendan Donovan's a little on the older side just because he was a late bloomer, but uh, it's a young team. There's, uh, you, well, you can, you can it's dream. exactly how you want to build your team, right? Your, your older players are your like MVP winning, you know, veteran, like your best players are the ones who are in their 30s. And then everyone else is all about hype and upside. Yeah. We don't really have any like dude who's in his 30s and we just need a third baseman. So we've got this like 35 year old guy that's playing. And, you know, like you see that all over the league. Um, It's like half of the Yankees right now, you know, Um, that's a roster that is so weird. Yeah, it's like everybody on the Cardinal lineup is someone to be potentially excited about or at least think they won't be shitty. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, one last thing before we move on. Uh, one thing that I really like about Zips is that they also give you 80-20 um, projections and not 80-20 in the way we normally think about it, but rather percentile outcomes. Um, what is the the 20th percentile outcome, meaning like a really bad outcome and what is an 80th percentile outcome meaning what is a like really good outcome and it it projects what that would look like i like that because you know these projections are just saying like here's our conservative estimate estimation of what might happen next year and then this is saying here's if we kind of be more specific about uh where this would fall on the um on the projection curve so, um, you know, and players will exceed the 80% too. We'll probably have one player on the team this year who exceeds even the 80% uh, projection. And then hopefully we don't have anyone who um, is below <laughs> a 20% projection. Like usually if you're that low, you start, you're starting to lose playing time and right. just the whole thing is collapsing. But like, I think you would say, uh, I'd have to look it up to be sure, but I'm certain that Paul Goldschmidt's uh, 2022 MVP was an exceeding the 80th percentile outcome. Right. Um, but you know, it happens, it, it, it will happen. So, um, there's some fun stuff on here. The one that I like a lot is the Jordan Walker, uh, 80th percentile outcome. His, uh, his stat line would be a 294 batting average, a 363 OBP and a 523, uh, slugging giving him an OPS plus of 142. And what besides obviously that just being a fantastic stat line, that's almost a 900 OPS. Um, that is the highest OPS plus projection on the team in the How 80th crazy is that? percentile outcome. So what there's, what it's showing is that the, the person with the highest ceiling on this team at this point is now Jordan Walker, at least from a projection standpoint. Uh, and, and from a offensive projection standpoint, right? Uh, and that's pretty incredible. And so that's what I say. Like, if we get this 80th percentile or plus projection, uh, like outcome from Walker, that's where you see that. Like, oh, the Cardinals are suddenly 
like actually competing above and beyond just hoping to win um because they suddenly now have another mvp type candidate right, right. there in the lineup yeah um, did any uh, of the other like 80 20 uh projections stand out to you um no no i don't think so i think um uh newt having uh, uh they show some power uh yeah. coming his way in the higher projections I, I think is really exciting um i do love that uh with paul goldschmidt even in the 20th percentile he's still has an above average, above 100 OPS plus. Yeah. Like that is how good Paul, go- like he's the only we, one on the team where if it's, if he hits his 20th percentile, um, he still is a slightly above average yeah. offensive player. We need to appreciate Paul Goldsmith. We need to resign him. We need to, yeah, we need to not get bored with his greatness. He is, he is so fun to watch and I, I just love him. Um, yes. No, other than that, yeah, it all, it all looks pretty normal. I think the only thing that I would say overall to kind of button this Zips conversation is that I think the power numbers for the Cardinals are low across mm-hmm. the board. I think Nolan Arenado is going to hit over 21 home runs. I think yeah. Schmidt is going to hit over 23. I think Contreras is going to hit over 18. Um, and I think Nolan Gorman is going to hit well over 28. I think Gorman is going to flirt with 40 this year. Um, and I could see Jordan Walker breaking 27. Um, so there's some other guys on that list. Like uh, if Wynn hits 13, that'll be amazing. Um, you know, how that all plays out, we'll see. But I do think the power guys are a little underrated. Um, why that is, I'm 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 not entirely sure. But uh, I think Gorman in particular is going to smash his uh, projected 28 home runs. Yeah. Well, I think the last year did a lot to... Um, really sway the projections and as far as power goes, especially for Arenado after yeah. last year, like he's past 30. He saw a decline last year. All, like every system starts screaming decline, decline, decline. Right. Like it, it here, it, here it comes. It's normal. That's how most players are. And um, it should be noted, even with that power decline, even if Nolan Arenado only hits 21 home runs. He provides value in so many other ways. Obviously, defensively, he's still a really, really good, good player. So yeah, it it's not the end of the world if his power starts to slip a bit. Yeah, hundred percent. Um. All right. So yeah, check out the Zips projections. We really like them. Um. We're going to switch gears a little bit, and I want to read an email. From a listener. So we got a good one. We got a really good one. Yeah. So we're always open to discussing. Like, if you have something you want us to talk about, let us know. Like, if it's a good question, we'll put it on the show. So I'm not going to read the whole email, but this comes to us from Mike. Uh, he says, Mike from Denver, shout out. Mike from Denver. Yeah. Um, Curious what your thoughts are on lineup consistency and how much that does or does not affect a team. I know decisions related to the lineup are very data-driven these days, but do you think players benefit from generally knowing and expecting where they are in the lineup each day? I know players need days off, and I know sometimes you may want to drop a lefty from the lineup if you're facing a tough lefty that day. I get all that, but if dropping a lefty from the lineup results in five other changes to the lineup, I wonder how much that throws off the rhythm of those five other guys. Or maybe it doesn't matter. Just curious what your take on it is so yeah great email mike thank you again 
Um, I'll go first, Ben, and then I want to hear your thoughts. So this is something that I think like that gets talked a lot about. And it, it is part of sort of the art of management, right? Everyone gets to have an opinion on this. And lineup construction is also one of the few things that we as fans can like point at and say, like, this is what I would do differently. And like, it's like this and like bullpen decisions are the things that are the easiest to, to um, like argue with a manager about because they're, they're clear decisions and you can see outcomes in a game. Uh, and I've gone back and forth over the years on how I feel about this as like a topic and a direction to go. Because on the one hand, I've always felt that, you know, the the players generally are what their expectations are. They are what the back of the card says. And wherever you slot them, like at the end of the day, their performance is going to round out. Whether they're hitting first or fourth or seventh or whatever, like it's they're going to perform generally how they were how you would expect them to perform. Um, you know, they've been playing their entire lives. There's not like, Oh, hitting second instead of third is not going to throw one of these elite athletes off of their game so much that suddenly they're not good at baseball anymore right. or something like that. That's how I have felt for a very long time. And I think that's how a lot of people feel, especially those of us who are really into saber metrics and whatnot. You, you just look at the data. Now that said, it is a common narrative, not just from like, you know, the, the people, you know, I test and things like that, but also in the game, you hear it all the time. Like people want consistency. They want to know um, what their expectations are when they come in day in and day out. And that is just like a normal human thing too, right? Is that like people typically perform better when they, when they know what their, what their job is going to look like and it's going to be generally similar every single time. And so there's that human side of it. And so what I've come to believe is that ultimately it comes down to what sort of clubhouse is the team trying to create and what sort of clubhouse are they projecting? Are you the type of clubhouse that is saying it's next man up? Everybody's here to do their job. It doesn't matter when you're, where you are, when you play, et cetera, you got to get out there and you got to give it your best. Or are you projecting a sort of like, this is like an earned structure and the veteran players have their role and it's been carved out and it's theirs and you have to take it from them if you, if you want to get that right. We see that with like <laughs> closers or we see that with like the cleanup hitter, like he's our cleanup hitter, you know, it's like this, this like badge of honor. And I could see where if someone is like, you're our cleanup hitter. You've earned this role. And then they come in one day and they're batting sixth. Like I can understand why as a human, you might be like, well, damn, now I'm a little disappointed. Now my feelings are a little hurt. And so that fastball looks a little faster. Um, so I think it comes down to what kind of clubhouse you're trying to build and how you, how you set people up for this sort of thing and then being consistent with that. So I think either works consistent lineups. If it's projected that way, or next man up, anyone's any day, et cetera, if you set it up that way. Um, so this is kind of a cop-out answer because I'm kind yeah. of saying either, but like I really think it's all about setting expectations. Um, Hambone, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it's so like, well, I want to answer this in two in two ways. I don't think it really matters how you construct your lineup. I think what matters is the psychology of the players. And if um, 
Lars Newbar, if you feel that Lars Newbar needs pressure taken off of him, then I think that psychologically it helps him with the pressure to be moved back in the lineup to give him some time off. And I don't think that there's any real uh, quantitative data to back that up, but I think that Lars Newbar feels more relaxed further down in the lineup if he's not performing well and needs pressure released off of him. Um, if that makes any sense. Right. I assume, think, but that's where assuming that type of good conversation has been had between the exactly. manager and the player. Yeah. I also think that it works in the inverse. If you have Paul Goldschmidt batting second, Nolan Arenado batting third, and let's say Nolan Gorman batting or sorry, uh, Arenado batting fourth. And let's say we have uh, Gorman batting second. Uh, third, geez. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Everyone. Goldschmidt to Gorman. Gold, third. Goldie Gorman. Not Arenado. Yeah. Um, I think that there is probably on a very minute psychological level for that starting pitcher or whatever that pitcher is, that they're going to focus a little bit more on Arenado or Goldschmidt and not worry about the kids so much. And that might give Gorman a, I don't know, 1% advantage right. in that plate appearance. Um, and it also might make him feel 1% better. So if you believe you can get your player a 2% better outcome, then it makes sense to do. Yeah. But like you said, it really comes down to having these conversations. Um, and outside of that, I, I don't think there's much. I think it's purely psychology. It's purely about making your players feel like they are in the best position to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes it even more unknowable. So I think that this is the type of debate that's just going to go on forever. Um, I wanted to hit really quick on like the mechanics of lineup construction. So there was this really, there's this really great article um, in fan graphs. This was uh, years ago by uh, somebody named Chris Russo. And essentially what he did was run a projection system. He took the average offense for catcher for every position uh, and made those into players. Uh, so the average catcher this year hit 237, 290, 387, right? And typically the catcher is the worst hitting position in baseball and then went down the line. First base, you can assume, is likely the best hitting position, right field the second, uh, DH up there as well, so on and so forth. And essentially what he did is he ran a simulated offense with the quote-unquote most optimal lineup. Um, and what a lot of people believe is you... Uh, your second best hitter first, uh, your uh, first best hitter second, and then kind of going down the line there and run a couple of variations of that. Then he did this the inverse of that where he purposely made the quote-unquote worst lineup. And through these uh, simulations, do you, do you want to have a guess, Nate, of how what the run differential was in between the quote-unquote optimal lineup and the quote-unquote bad lineup? Is it just strictly run differential, run scored? Yeah, how many how many runs was the difference of the runs between the good and the bad lineup? Wow. Um I do remember this article but I don't remember anything about the outcomes. So yeah. I'm purely taking a shot in the dark here. But I'm going to say the optimal lineup scored 25 more runs than wow, the Wow, so what a guess. 26. Holy shit. <laughs> 26. Yes. Nice. Over 162 games. That is how important it is. So obviously it's a couple of wins in there. Probably. 
Yeah. <laughs> Spread out, you know, it's it's mostly inconsequential. Uh, yeah. I would say, like, a couple of your players could make that up with good performances or bad performances. Yeah. It is not a non-factor, um, but it is is almost inconsequential. Almost. And yeah. I think what it really comes down to, um, and what I believe are the two most important things is having your best players have as many plate appearances as possible. And I do believe in staggering lefties and righties, uh, yeah. especially with a three batter minimum. Yeah. Um, on one of the points you just made the, uh, it's been a while since I've, I've seen this. It may have changed, but, but I doubt it would change very much. The average difference, uh, between a spot in the lineup over a full, season is each spot gets roughly 18 more plate appearances a year than the spot below it so your leadoff guy will get 18 more plate appearances in a year than the second place guy and that will start to stack like you know yeah. we're talking that's 80 something plate appearances less for the guy who's hitting like sixth or seven so there's some obvious like you want to give your best players more at bats right so like that you put them at the top but all that's pretty obvious. And then even then, 18 plate appearances, that's four games, five games of plate appearances. Um, but over a full season, 18 plate appearances is not a significant difference. So if you've got right. like Goldie batting third, you know, it's not a significant difference to Newbar in second. You know, Newbar is going to get yeah. a little bit more plate appearances. Yeah, like I want to make sure we're asking answering like Mike's prompt directly. Like, okay, let's say that your lineup is what we were talking about earlier. Gorman's batting third. You're giving Gorman a day off. Do you simply slot in Donovan or Edmund in the third spot in the lineup and leave everybody at the spots that they're used to? Or do you put the lesser hitter further back in the lineup and scooch everyone up one? Um, that is what I would do because it is marginally optimal. Right. Um, again, we're talking about numbers that are mostly inconsequential, but what if you're talking about one game and you score one extra, one extra of those 26 runs and that gets you the win, I do think it's worth it. And I would be designing my lineup for optimal production as often as possible. Um, because yeah. you never know when that win is going to come in or that, well, that we single saw run we saw sometimes what the in inverse of, of that looks like, right? Was it, was it, I guess it was two years ago where Matt Carpenter's last season with yeah. the Cardinals where like when Carpenter would play, he was batting like cleanup or fifth and he had not been hitting that way in a very long time. Right. And it was very frustrating and we're, and the argument was truly exactly that we put him there because that is where he was comfortable and it doesn't shake up the rest of the lineup. And that is where Marmol or, or um, I guess that would have been Schilt was, uh, yeah. was prioritizing the, like the, the, the mentality side of the thing rather than the, um, the optimal play. And I think there are times when it's so clear that it's a suboptimal decision on the field that you you can't do it. But so like that one, for example. Right. Um, but, you know, for the most part, it, you're, you're finding that balance in between the two. Well, well, and anecdotally, it's very easy to remember the time where Matt Carpenter comes up to bat. He's batting fifth. Bases are loaded and he strikes out. Yeah. And you're not going to so much remember 
you know, the 12 pitch at bat where he ends up walking and no one's on base. And it's right. just kind of like yeah. variance and randomness and, and clustering and all that crap that we, no one can control. Um, right. But if I were Ali Marmol, if I were Mike Schilt, I would be communicating out to my player group. Like I am going to design the lineup for the optimal, uh, 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 uh runs every single day. No, like we need to be like, people are going to be shifting, um, yes. but I'm going to do what it, what I believe and what the numbers tell me allow, uh, puts us in a space to co- score the most runs on that individual day. Um, and I think that's what, you know, a good manager can communicate and, right. uh, you hopefully get by in, even if it's the stubborn, older Matt Carpenters in the, in the lineup or in the dugout. Right. Which, you know, where we see most modern teams are most successful modern teams are doing it exactly that way. Right. Next man up, put them wherever it makes sense and just expect performance. So, uh, Mike, thanks for the email. We really appreciate it. Um, good discussion. And, uh, if you're out there listening, share, share your thoughts either on that question, or if you have something else that you'd like for us to talk about, let us know anything else you want to talk about Hambone before we, uh, move into the, into the break. No, would you put nude or Donovan to lead off for the Cardinals if they started <laughs> tomorrow? Uh, I think I'm going Donovan, Newt, and then the rest right there. Okay. Yeah. Two lefties. All right. Fun, fun. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, if you enjoy the show and want to support its creation, uh, consider joining our Patreon. This show is listener supported on patreon.com. We've had a couple of people join over the last few weeks, which, which has been really exciting. We we uh, shouted them out last week. And if uh, you're thinking about maybe in the new year, supporting the creators that you enjoy a little bit more, maybe that's one of your resolutions. It's something Molly and I've <laughs> talked about. Uh, you can do it on patreon.com slash talking about birds. Uh, patrons of any level get access to the bird score. That's our private discord. We're having a lot of fun in there. We are currently planning. We're we're settling on the final date of a bird scored movie night. We're going to watch a baseball movie. We haven't decided what yet. That'll be the next step. But if you want to join, consider joining the bird scored. You also get access to early episodes. Uh, how early will depend on our recording schedule, but uh, usually you can get them out a little bit early to you all. And uh, subscribers at a higher level also get one of our f- t-shirts for free and they are very high quality t-shirts. Uh, so again, patreon.com slash talking about birds. Also, if you enjoy the show and want to support it in a different way, consider leaving a, a review on your favorite podcast platform that helps as well. Hambone, where can people find us online? Otherwise? Yeah. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at talk about birds. Uh, we are on Instagram at talking about birds. Uh, we have a TikTok. Come find us on TikTok. You can listen to this podcast on Spotify. If you prefer to listen to your podcast there, check us out. Like and review us and all that crap there. Uh, you can email us like Mike did. Uh, any questions or, or interesting topics to talk about birds at gmail.com. You can find all of that information at talkingaboutbirds.com. And of course, I'm here to remind you that you can call us or text us at 848 48 birds. That is 848 482 4737. Hit us up. Uh, sign us up for weird. Uh, messaging systems <laughs> or whatever, all that good. And, uh, and yeah, I'll just say, uh, uh, been loving the bird scored, um, been loving the support, been loving the 
camaraderie, excited to make Nate watch a movie he's never seen because he doesn't like baseball movies. So it's wow. uh, it's going to be great. Not what I said, but um, I actually love baseball movies, but I've just not seen a lot of them. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. And if it goes well, maybe this is something we'll do um, more readily. And once we get this going, I'm looking forward to some uh, game watching parties with, uh, with the with the bird scored as well. So yeah. um, who knows? Maybe we'll do a meetup sometime, too. Maybe. <laughs> I don't think you all want to actually meet Ben in real life. I wait. No, you're the socially. Whatever. I'm a delight. You suck. All right. (laughs) Tweet at us. Who would you rather meet? Wow. Oh yeah. Neither of us want that. (laughs) Um. All right. So yeah, let's go ahead and uh, talk about some league news. There has been a little bit of movement around the league. When are these floodgates going to open up? I know. We thought it was going to happen with the conclusion of the. Otani Yamamoto sweepstakes, but I don't know. I guess everybody was like busy with the holidays or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. and Scott Boris is in control of the situation. Yeah. Now it's all his clients basically remaining. So we'll sit here and wait. Uh, so anyways, a couple of moves have come through uh, some interesting pitching moves. The Reds announced that they have signed right-handed starting pitcher, Frankie Montas, a one-year deal with a mutual option for 2025 it is reportedly worth 16 million smackers hmm. for a guy that really hasn't pitched in a while. He came back and had a little bit of action at the end of last season, showed that his elbow and shoulder are working. Um, but uh, not that it's a, it, it's a large difference, but I, th- how do you, I guess, how do you compare this to the two deals? The Cardinals made uh, specifically Lynn and Gibson. Yeah, I think the the Reds are going for ceiling here yeah. rather than floor. And so the Cardinals went for floor. The Cardinals are banking on they're like we just need to get to the 6th inning without the game being over and we have a shot to win. Um and I think the Reds are looking at like our rotation has been all over the place. We've got some young guys we need someone who can who's been around but hasn't been able to put it together and can come in and actually be like a high end starter and potentially yeah. be our number one if he like really recovers. Um, so it's interesting that it was, um, you know, in the big picture of baseball, it's not that much more expensive, but comparatively, you know, this is sixty percent more expensive than uh, like a Lynn or a Gibson. Right. So like uh, on a like percentage level, this is considerably more expensive for uh, for a Frankie Montas, which is pretty surprising. Right. Um, I thought it, I, I'm surprised how much it costs them to get him. Uh, but like, I don't know. I kind of like this for the Reds, frankly. Like they have they've they are throwing a ton of darts this yes. upcoming year and they're throwing so many that it feels inevitable that several of them are going to hit like is Ellie De La Cruz going to be the, the next, you know, uh, Acuna or, or whatever, maybe is, um, Spencer Steer going to take the next step is Christopher Christian and Cardinasian strand going to take a step forward is Jonathan India. Like they have so many guys, Hunter, yeah. uh, Hunter green. Um, you know, they've, they like, they're just stacking upside and yeah. it's interesting. It's kind of the opposite of what the Cardinals are doing. You know, and uh, I don't know. I kind of like it. 
Well, I think the same way that you can squint at the Cardinals and see that high variance and a, high, a good turnout, uh, you look at Hunter Green, Graham Ashcraft, Frankie Montaz, Andrew Abbott, and Nick Martinez, and that could be a pretty competitive starting rotation, especially with the high ceilings of of Green and Ashcraft at the top there. Yeah. Um, obviously, they're young, and you know Green hasn't fully put it together yet, and neither is Ashcraft, but you can see it. Um, yeah, and I mean, Montez put up four war in 2021. That feels like a million years ago, but, um, you know, and then it, it's, I, I don't know. I don't think it's a crazy gamble um, for, for them to make. I It's a little more expensive than I expected, but yeah, uh, I could see this working out well for them. I think the only thing that they've done so far this offseason that hasn't made any sense to me is giving Jaime uh, Candelario uh, a pretty good bag of money to play a position yeah. that isn't really clear to me when they could have gotten spent more on starting pitching. Um, they probably should have got Sonny gray. Um, well, there's, that's the one counter to what I just said about the reds is that they've gone, they've gone all up upside. Candelario is there like, this will make sure that our infield, the floor doesn't completely, completely collapse. If it turns out all these, high upside uh, position players are absolute trash. Um, <laughs> I like, I agree with you. I don't know if that's how I would have spent the money. If I was building the reds, I think another 15 million a year towards another starter would be more effective, but I'm sure they're looking at their infield being like, everyone here is 21. What if they all suck? Yeah. You know? So makes sense. Yeah. Um, moving down, the Red Sox have signed Lucas Giolito uh, to a two-year, $38.5 million deal. Uh, this is a good example of where I think we talked about Mosaic maybe turning out to be right on a couple things. Because um, I'm kind of surprised that Giolito got almost $40 million. Um, now, he's got that upside, too. Sure. But... Uh, boy, do I think he's going to get knocked around in Fenway. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just uh, it's like, man, of all the teams to sign Giolito, the Red Sox feels like the worst one for him to go to. But maybe that's yeah. just me. Uh, the Red Sox continue to confuse me. This team is so weird. Um, even with Bloom leaving the front office, they continue to be weird. Uh, Lucas Giolito slots in is projected as their number one starter. Yeah. And uh, as you just kind of laid out there, like maybe um, or maybe he sets a new league record in home runs allowed. Yeah. Um, and they are forced to play him because they don't really have any other options. Um, yeah, they they can conf- continue to confuse me. And we'll we'll just keep talking about the Red Sox right now. They also made a rather large and interesting trade uh, with the Braves. The Red Sox sent former ace World Series winner Chris Sale to the Braves for Vaughn Grissom. And what yeah. is interesting about this deal, not only the players, but the Sox will also include $17 million to the Braves uh, to help cover sales $27.5 million salary for the 24 season. What is also a part of this is that the other $10 million of Chris sales uh, contract are deferred until the year 2029. So the Braves have essentially given up on Von Grissom, sent him to Boston and are paying $500,000 for one year of Chris Sale. Chris Sale does have an option uh, that could be triggered by various escalators and so on and so forth for 2025 as well. 
but really ostensibly this is for one year yeah. of uh, of sale. Um, this one I actually kind of like for both sides. I like it more for the Braves because the Braves are obviously in win now mode and Chris Sale. Um, if it wasn't for injury, which I know is a huge if it wasn't for, but if it wasn't for injury, like Chris Sale would be on a Hall of Fame track as well. Right. He he was one of the best pitchers in baseball. And even with all of his injuries, he still is very high up on like all of the, the still active pitcher rankings. Like he was incredible. And right. we saw glimpses of it last year. He put up 2.2 war outperforming everybody on the St. Louis Cardinals, basically uh, in limited time. And so it's still there. And so if you're the Braves and you, you know, it's, it's a perfect sort of dart to throw. And I'm very, very frustrated that now the Braves have Chris sale <laughs> um, and they didn't really have a spot for Vaughn Grissom. He's no. been, he's an interesting player. Um, you know, not a great defender, but a great hit tool. Like he should be a, an offensive player offensively capable player they just don't really have a spot for him because their team is so stacked so they traded you know an extra piece with upside for uh a starting pitcher with extreme upside so i think it's a pretty good move for them yeah um red Sox, it's a little weird you know you, you'd think that maybe they could have got a better even better player than grissom for for uh for chris sale but because yeah. they had to give up 17 million dollars also to in this deal um, but Grissom obviously is going to start immediately with the Red Sox and we're going to really see what Grissom is at the major league level, like immediately. And if he is good, then getting like the full control of a, yeah. of an infielder who can hit, like it's, it's what a, a team who should be rebuilding like the Red Sox, you know, it, it, it makes sense. Um, right. so this could be a win-win for both sides. Um, but I don't know. It is a little weird. It is I, I want to say. It, I, it makes me think the Red Sox specifically wanted Von Grissom because I did see some people saying like, why didn't the Cardinals do this? Like, you know, like we certainly could have beaten Von Grissom uh, for Chris sale and $17 million. Yeah. But, and that's true. Of course, like uh, Brendan Donovan, you would take over Von Grissom. Right. Um, but my guess is that the Cardinals didn't want to pay that. They're skeptical of adding a high-end injury-prone starter, which is yeah. fair. And I'm guessing the Red Sox specifically wanted Vaughn Grissom. You know, yeah. these these trade. Everyone likes to think that uh, trades are like video game trades, where if, if the math just adds up, the computer will say okay and accept. But like, you know, there's people on the other side of this, and the Cardinals don't really have like a Vaughn Grissom style prospect, right? That like available. So it would have been trading something different to the Red Sox for Chris Sale. So yeah. it's not always as easy as, well, they could have beat Vaughn Grissom. Sure. Well, they could beat any trade, really, yeah. if they want right. to. Um, any team can beat any trade if you want to. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. Chris Sale is not the type of player that the Cardinals need right now. Um, and like he's essentially the same age as... Uh, uh, Sonny Gray and uh, a little yeah. like, it, do we want another 34 year old injury prone pitcher? Yeah. Um, I mean, I am torn on it because like I have been saying, I thought the Cardinals should kind of target Chris sale as one of the pile of pitchers that they get, you know, sure. but, but what the Red Sox would want for him, I, I have no idea because that Cardinals don't really have a Vaughn Grissom equivalent. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it would be foolish for the Cardinals because it, it makes sense for the Braves, because the Braves are essentially guaranteed to get a playoff spot. So their goal 
is to make sure that Chris Sale is healthy going into September. That's all yeah. they have to worry about with him. The yeah. offense will keep them afloat. They have good pitching. And if Chris Sale is healthy and effective, that is extremely valuable in the playoffs. Yeah. And that's the level of game that the Braves are playing right now. The Cardinals are not there. Right. Yeah. Um, the other side of this trade, yeah, like with the Von Grissom thing, I think it is interesting. Not only are they essentially committing to Von Grissom starting every day or, or likely every day, they're also committing to Trevor Story going back to shortstop full time yeah. after he's having his weird forearm surgery. Um, so I'm a huge Trevor Story fan. I hope that he still can play shortstop. Yeah. I hope that he can still throw. Um, but it, it's kind of a, a multi-factor kind of big swing for the Red Sox. So we'll see. Um, this is like Chris Getz first big, you know, yeah. Or, uh, sorry. Craig, Craig Breslow's first big thing. Um, it and it's almost like he's kicking, uh, he's kicking Dombrowski's guy out and, and trying to make his mark. It's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, giving up like it's a lot, like it's a big move. Cause if, if, if obviously Chris sales on the table, you have to imagine that there was a lot of stuff coming his way. Yeah. And so to pick this one, we get Vaughn Grissom and we give you like a third of the Kansas city Royals overall, uh, budget for their entire team, <laughs> you know, for this yeah. guy, this, you know, near hall of fame level pitcher. Like you have to imagine there was a lot of different packages available. Right. So why this guy? Yeah, it's fascinating. A um, couple of smaller moves that happened this week. The Angels have signed starting pitcher Zach Plezak, um, which, you know. Yeah. Good uh, there was him. a moment. He's, he's from the Guardians. And yep. so every pitcher who comes up through the Guardians, at least for a little bit, looks like they might be in the, uh, the next ace. And uh, didn't quite get there with Plezak, but yeah. Potential upside, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I think... Um, the Angels are going to have a bad year. Uh, the Blue Jays have signed IKF, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, to a two-year deal worth $15 bucks. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of surprised at this one, too. I can't believe he got two years. I know. I, I, I didn't think he really did anything with the Yankees to prove that he should be getting a multi-year major league deal. Um, you know, I remember when he shaved, when he got traded to the Yankees, Yeah, that was fun. Sure. Um, but yeah, he over 110 games last year, he put up a 82 WRC plus and 0.2 war. And, uh, yeah, his career best year was in 2021 when he put up 1.6 war with the Rangers. Yeah. So obviously, you know, 8 million a year roughly like you really only have to put up one war or so to be uh like value value in return but for a team that's competing so so you know intensely as the as the blue jays surprised that like that this is their guy who they're deciding right. to give a roster spot to like do they not have someone in the minors that could put up one war uh, i'm just surprised yeah it is strange they i i think the pressure is kind of on the Blue Jays. Um, they missed yeah. out on Otani. I, I don't know how they could augment their team. Um, bringing in a starting pitcher. 
I mean, they're kind of, especially with the Kiermaier and the IKF signing, they're kind of filled up on position players. I mean, maybe they go get Cody Bellinger and, and Kiermaier goes to kind of a bench role or, or George yeah. Springer starts DHing more, or, or I don't really know how they, what their next move is going to be. Maybe they go get a Blake Snell. Maybe they bring in Jordan Montgomery. Um, but I think they, they do have a weird amount of pressure on them. They just haven't really broken through and Bo Bichette and Vlad jr. Are two years away. Like they have yeah. 24 and 25 and then they're free agents unless they are signed up. So, uh, or resigned. So I don't know. I, th- I think they're an interesting club to watch. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they throw a caboodle of cash at somebody. Yeah. I've heard talk of them. They've apparently shopped Vlad just a little bit, just tested the waters on what they could get in return. Yeah. I'll take Vlad. Yeah, I'll take a Vlad. Take Vlad would be the only way I would say, okay, we don't need to resign Goldschmidt. <laughs> yeah. But even <laughs> still, I'd say resign Goldschmidt and he could just DH. Yeah. Or Vladdy can or DH. Vlad can DH. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Let Vlad do whatever he wants. Vlad can play um, short. It'd be hilarious. <laughs> uh, final piece of news. Um, it looks like the Wander Franco story Ugh. is coming to a head. Um Innocent until proven guilty, of course, but everything's really stacking up against him. He fled uh, officials for about half a week, uh, but he has now been detained in the Dominican Republic. Um, And if I was a betting man, Nathan, I would say it's highly, highly unlikely we ever see Wander Franco play another inning in the majors. Yeah. Yeah. And the story is only getting worse. I, the yeah. the mother of one of the daughter of one of the women has been detained, um, which just is complicated and gross and 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 a problem. Uh, and yeah, it just seems like it's horrible all the way down. So it's bad. Yep. Uh, and that wraps up my league. Cool. Game. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Glad you threw that in. Well, I think it's important. Like it is. I mean, he. Yeah. He's uh, was one of the most famous players in the game. So yeah, uh, apparently a complete idiot. Yeah. And a monster, not just yeah. an idiot, but right. a monster. So, all right, cool, fun. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this episode up with, uh, we're returning to a, a classic game. We haven't done it for a few months. Wow. Um, we're going to play another round of if you had to. <laughs> okay. So uh, if you've not heard this game before, I have a series of clues about a major league baseball player who uh, at one point in their career has played for the St. Louis Cardinals. These clues start incredibly vague. You mean, and then wait, get... this is who is this guy? What did I say? If you had to. Oh, damn it. Oh, crap. What? See, I screwed up. I screwed Idiot. up. Whatever. I'm keeping all this in. <laughs> okay. It's who is this guy? I'm glad you're you right know over him. there. Yeah, I forgot to load up the sound, so I have to do it in post. And so, like, I I don't know. I guess I'm just all all over the place right now. Please Um, leave all of this in the episode. We'll see. Okay. We're going to play a classic game called Who Is This Guy? Who is this guy? You can't reset. If you've never heard this game before, I have the name of a Major League Baseball player who at one point in their career played for the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm going to read a list of clues. The clues are going to start vague and get increasingly specific. Ben has to take a guess after each cue. 
each clue. Wow. Ben, are you ready? Yeah, are you? Man, I went back to work today after like a week and a half off, so I guess Shut I'm just... Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, one cares. Okay. Um, this player was born October 10th, 1990. Okay, okay. In Hilo, Hawaii. Uh, Colton Wong? Damn it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought you might get it. There, I've, yeah. I, I, I've done a that bunch was of really... so easy. Well, I've done a bunch of tricky ones lately. I thought I'd do a classic player, and I was like, well, he might get it immediately with Hawaii because there's not a ton of Hawaiian players. No. But you've also missed super obvious people before, and so sure. I thought, um, well, this whole game has been a, <laughs> has been a bust. Um, let me, But yes, Colton Wong. Um, so let me read all my clues. God, uh, hold on. Okay, uh, so he played for St. Louis, the Dodgers, Milwaukee, and Seattle. He won two gold gloves and led the NL in uh, defense in second base defensive putouts in 2015, second base assists in 2019 and 2020, and second base errors in 2015 and 2022. Yeah, he was the Cardinals' first round pick in 2011. That was the first time I ever watched the draft. I think it was the first year they fully televised the draft. And I remember watching it and everyone being really confused why the Cardinals drafted a five foot ten second baseman. Um, but turned out pretty well. And then uh the last pick was uh the last clue was was famously picked off first base for the final oh. out of game four of the 2013 World Series. Poor guy. Yeah. Man, I love Colton Wong. That that's he's also one of my favorites while we had him, so I think I'm. I was just more. He's he's more in the front of my mind maybe than he is yeah. in yours. But uh, I love Colton Wong. No, he's very top of mind. I, I honestly, I I knew there was a a potential, a, a really a good percentage chance that you would get it on the first guess. But the format is that I always do where they were like their birthday and where they were born on the sure. first uh the first clue. And usually it's not as obvious, but you know you've gotten some of these wrong before when they're. Like yeah, seemingly yeah. pretty obvious before, so. Oh, okay, cool. I mean, I uh, the last few I've done had been pretty complicated with like Randy Choate and whatnot. So I was like, I'll go to like a, a big time Cardinal the last twenty years. So yeah, well, I'm just looking through the list of Hawaiian born players, and the list is not very long. There are do uh, there are only forty eight. Wow, um, I thought there was more. who have ever played the majors. Um, and how many have played for the Cardinals? Can is that easy for you to find? Uh, it's not super easy, but I'm just going down the list right now. Kirby Yates was born in Hawaii. I wouldn't hmm. have guessed that. Um, uh, going back, Shane Victorino. Um, so once I, I'm now I'm in the night guys who debuted in the nineties and I'm not recognizing these names. So I only see one. Um, but I'm sure. Uh, if I did a, uh, uh, oh, and that was just position players. Okay. We're going to mm. really listen to me do this live. Yeah, this our, is great. Wow. There has not been a Hawaiian born pitcher to debut since 2016. Um, oh wait, I'm not sorting properly. Never mind. I everyone ig ignore me. Everyone shut yeah, up. This is good. All everyone right. Well, good game, Ben. Nice job. You got it in a one. Um, congratulations. You're the winner now, dog. And, uh, we want to thank everyone again for listening. Consider the Patreon. 
uh, patreon.com talking about talking about birds call us at 848-48-BIRDS 848-482-4737 yes and uh, we'll be back next week and uh, until then uh, I think the Cardinals are going to trade for Dylan Cease yeah let's do it wow bye bye